Do you like comics? We're here to talk comics. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. featuring Chris Pratt in an extended action sequence set to the music of the Beastie Boys, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. <laughs> it was a weird double feature. Is that not, like, the weirdest co- Not the weirdest. Is that not an odd coincidence in the year of our Lord 2023? So weird. Yeah. And, and now we just get to wait and hope that uh, Garfield will have No Sleep Till Brooklyn in it. <laughs> Is he really going to be the voice of Garfield? I think so. I believe so. Why? Bill Murray is still alive. Yeah, but it's Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to do it, but, like, who else should do it? No one should... No. Chris Pratt shouldn't voice anything anymore unless it's animated Chris Pratt. Here's the thing. Nobody should voice Garfield. We should retire the character in honor of Lorenzo Music. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Right? I watch that Christmas special every year. That's a better take than what I was going to say, which was that Bill Murray should just retire at this point because I don't think he ever really had a whole lot of talent to begin with, but that's my hot take. You should watch Groundhog Day and What About Bob again and um, throw on The Man Who Knew Too Little and take back what you said, Aldo. Nope. (laughs) Take it back. I want to rewatch What About Bob. I've seen What About Bob since I was a teenager. Oh, man. It's, it's, yeah. It's genius. I, I love it. Bill Murray is just 80s Jeff Goldblum. And Jeff Goldblum is just 90s Bill Murray. No! That's... No! <laughs> <laughs> They're so different. It's no. very funny because I think Bill Murray did a lot of good stuff in the 90s. And Jeff Goldblum did stuff in the 80s. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love the distinction between doing good stuff in the 90s and doing stuff in the 80s. <laughs> I don't think that was intentional, but it was very funny. Well, I only had, like, The Fly and Earth Girls Are Easy. I don't know about Jeff Goldblum's 80s career as much, so sorry. <laughs> I will I will join in on the Jeff Goldblum is a slightly overrated bandwagon. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting performer who whose notoriety is primarily due to his meme status and not necessarily to his, like, I don't even want to say his ability because this is, I mean, this is getting weirdly mean, and I don't want to be mean about people, even if they're people who are way too good to listen to our show. Um, <laughs> but Mr. Goldblum, yeah, I want to just... separate myself from my colleague's remarks. <laughs> um, I was at a very, very formative age when seeing Jurassic Park, Independence Day, and Jurassic Park 2. Um, I have no complaints. You just keep on keeping on. He's the same character in Jurassic Park and Independence Day. Well, Just, there the it is. Character. He's also the same character in the Hotels.com commercials. And the Thor movie. You know, if you get it right the first time, Denzel's characters are quite similar. Some of them <laughs> some of them stand out from each other, but... Here's the thing. At least Christopher Walken can dance. Christopher Walken can dance. That man can boogie. I'm waiting for someone to go into a bad Christopher Walken impersonation. Oh no! I've no no. no, Accor- no. According to my friend, I, I, I slip into that naturally when he and I had a conversation <laughs> long enough, and I hate that he told me that because now I keep an eye out for it, but I never, I never hear it. And he's like, "You did it! You just did it!" And like that sentence you just said, you just slipped into Christopher Walken. I'm like, "That's a lie." <laughs> do you do you know what Christopher Walken sounds like? I do. I've listened to Christopher Walken. I've... No, I'm talking to your. You're talking to your friend. Tell him. Tell him what I said. Oh yeah, I'll tell him that. I'll tell him that. <laughs> So this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. It's it's actually been a while since we recorded. I, we had to take a, a break because someone had to go out of town for a work thing. But now, you know, reunited and it feels so good. I'm Steven, Aldo, John. Welcome back. How you guys doing? Good, but you're all right. It has been a while since I read comics to record. It's been a while. <laughs> Since I said JGL at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> what did we what did we even read? We read okay, we read some Daredevil and we read some Captain Marvel. 
What do we want to start with, you guys? I before we get into both of these books, I also just want to I want to point out that both of these books left me on cliffhangers that I'm not happy with. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that when I picked the story, I thought there would be a uh, end to the Daredevil story, and then I flipped the page and oh, oh no, what have I done? So yeah. I, I mean, that, that's I on mean, me. There are there is an ending. It's just yeah. not ending enough for me. <laughs> it's it's. It, it's an ending, not a resolution. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's a. Ooh. It's an act break. Because That's like, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can. Uh, yeah. Do Daredevil if we prefer. Let, let's start with Daredevil. Um, we find ourselves in jail. Um, this this uh, Daredevil, the nineteen ninety eight um, run that this this goes for several years i think through 2011 but this is from march of 2006 going all the way back written by ed brubaker penciler was michael lark with um a few other faces uh popping in for colors and inking um the uh previous to what we read a tabloid has exposed Matt Murdock as the daredevil and he's been denying it. He's been denying it publicly publicly just before this happened. He beat up the kingpin in public in front of people um, and declared himself the new kingpin and told everyone, Hey, get out of town. If you're a, a crook because I'm cleaning up hell's kitchen and I'm coming for you and I don't care that you know who I am because I'm the new kingpin. Here I come. The, FBI gets involved, he gets thrown in jail. They, they catch up to him um, despite Foggy's best efforts to keep him out of jail. Uh, he ends up in jail, and he ends up in jail in the same jail as the Kingpin. The Kingpin um, did a deal previous to this to get Daredevil set up to be put in jail. And then the FBI, FBI agent, or head of the FBI, turned on uh, Kingpin. So... Um, the feds have put all of their eggs in one basket and the, the devil in cell block D is what we read. Devil in cell, um, yeah. Um, it builds a lot of tension because it keeps adding people to the mix. So we have, we start off with, um, Matt in his cell by himself we then add the kingpin. We then add Bullseye, whose entry into the prison is like Hannibal Lecter just showed up because they know that if this guy gets anything in his hands, he's deadly and can take us all out. We then add the Punisher to the mix. And while this is happening, um, I mean, you're listening to this podcast and we all read it, but spoiler alert, just in case, Foggy Nelson gets killed. The uh, guards and the other inmates and everyone is against Daredevil. Um, All the cops are just terrible. And they arrange, after a visit with his lawyer, for um, Matt Murdock's lawyer, Foggy Nelson, to be killed. Um, We get through this. um, There is this tension that the Kingpin and and Matt Murdock are going to have a one-on-one. This is really tense. And Matt Murdock is so pissed about Foggy that he is about to throw away everything and just, you know, take out the kingpin. Um, he's a one-man wrecking ball taking out, you know, anyone who challenges him in the in the prison and, you know, trying to get more information from the inside. While this is going on, on the outside, his friends are working, trying to see there's a, a daredevil running around. And we find out that it's Danny Rand just trying to keep things going. He's just... You know, doing daredevilly stuff and fighting street level crime, and um, you know, being the one in the costume. Um, it ends up. <laughs> I apologize for the cliffhanger. Um, Matt Murdock and Kingpin fight, but on the same side with Bullseye, against everyone else in the prison. After a riot is caused, and it they. Um, realize that their fight, yes, they're enemies, but they're both being set up by the powers that be, the warden, the head of the FBI, and people above them just saying, look, we don't want any of these people. They're all bad for business. Let's just let them take each other out. And Kingpin realizes this, tells you know Daredevil, like, look, you hate me, I hate you. We're always going to hate each other, but let's not go out like this. And so um, Daredevil... Um, fights his way away from everyone trying to kill him, uh, teams up with the uh, Punisher, who um, 
takes uh, over a helicopter that the feds sent in to for riot control, and then they get out. Um, we find out in the last pages, the last page in the finishing panels that it looks like Foggy Nelson has survived and has been uh, secreted away and grown a stupid mustache. So Foggy's okay <laughs> if you can deal with a stupid mustache. Um, that's what happens, and I apologize for that cliffhanger because we end with Daredevil out of um, uh, prison and on the run. What did you all think? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I get it. Cliffhanger, right? But we're talking about comics. The stories never end. And I feel like if you want a satisfying chunk of story, like the story doesn't begin either. Like you had to do all that setup to explain why Daredevil was in prison and why everybody thinks he's Daredevil. Like you had to, this isn't the, the proper beginning of the story, nor is it the proper ending. But as a, as a chunk of story, I had a lot of fun. This is actually better than I remember it being. Yeah, no, for sure. I think they did a good job in that first issue, issue 82. We read 80 through, 82 through 87. Um, you get a few, you get a page where it's like, my city is, is going worse. It's awful. And you see Daredevil flipping over the roofs and fighting crime or whatever. And it's like, except I'm not in my city. I'm behind bars. And you're like, oh, what? So as a, you know, start of a new arc, I guess, it works to kind of bring you up to speed in an interesting way. Like, oh, yeah, Daredevil's in prison now. And this is, I think, this is where Brubaker came onto the book. Yeah, before before Brubaker, it was uh, Brian Michael Bendix and uh, Alex Maleev. So, good team before this. Um, there's several issues that are told from the point of view of people who have been affected by uh, Daredevil in kind of a support group. And then there's one where, you know, uh, Daredevil is with Mila, uh, Mila, Mila? His, his girlfriend, who actually turns out he married briefly and then she like divorced him and then came back to him i don't know it's it's weird it's you know matt murdoch with women um he's with her she is blind but a civilian and uh, electra turns up um because she wants to find this this evidence that fisk is supposedly kept on matt murdoch in the in case he needs to do anything about daredevil um and it turns out it was all a ruse and it was a trap to catch them and uh you know, get Matt Murdock thrown in jail. And it worked. So, um, but we didn't read all those. We read 82 through 87. Um, I thought um, the art was good. Some of the um, inking wasn't the cleanest, but that's, you know, a minor nitpick. And that's really the only nitpick that I had. Everything else was uh, pretty good. And um, really, really like kept me, you know, in, in suspense, I think kind of like, Oh crap, what's going to happen next? And the, the tension was built really well. And it kept, you know, raising the stakes like, Oh, he's in there with, with uh, Kingpin. That's not good. And foggy's dead. Oh no, here comes bullseye. You know, I thought that was really cool. And then like, so we're all really ambivalent towards the Punisher right now. Right? Yeah. Not I mean, a fan. We don't, we don't, we don't like the Punisher, but boy, you see this guy reading a newspaper, and he's like, oh, Daredevil's in jail. I should go to jail. So he walks outside and murders a pimp in front of a cop. And he's like, yep, I did a thing. Take me to jail. It just puts his hands up, and the officer is looking at him and is like, I need backup. Sorry, that's really funny. And it shouldn't be, because it's just, you know, mean-spirited and cruel. But it's like, oh my gosh, I, I, I genuinely laughed. I thought it was so funny. And the reason he said was he just wanted to come see what happened. Like, he murdered a bad guy on almost on a whim, you know? Right. And, like, we, we find out he wanted to, you know, back up Daredevil. But really, he's, um, you know, psychotic. Yeah, I think the reason for it that he gives, like, at the end... I actually really like that, where he tells him that he needed... He felt that he needed to be there to help remind him what he would turn into if he gave in. Right, yeah. which I think yeah, is... I actually really liked that. Yeah, I think, you know, and it kind of... I think it's like a soft reminder every once in a while that he's kind of supposed to be a good guy in the very loosest of terms. And in here, like, that actually kind of comes across. Uh, but, you know, granted, killing sprees, judge, yeah. jury, executioner, not always a great look. 
He's like the worst good guy. He's the worst guy on the good guy side because a lot of the things he does are the same as the bad guys, but his reasons are some of the same as the good guys. So, but he should not. His emblem should not be on police cars or uniforms or anything. Like people miss that he's not. He's not a role model. But there you go. He's not a role model. He's the ghost of Christmas. F off. <laughs> But I, I, good use of Punisher, just really good use of Punisher to, to make him this sort of, not just not just a moral foil, but like, I like it when you get these these really hardcore, badass characters, like, recognizing that what they do is bad, and they don't want other people to be like them. It works really well with Wolverine, uh, in my opinion. And it's cool to see it from the Punisher, too. That said, I am really interested in the story that they just concluded apparently with the Punisher that ends with his wife like coming back to life and saying, uh, I want a divorce. Yeah. Very funny. This also reminded me a little bit of, that was like another book. I think it was an Avenging Spider-Man crossover where it's Daredevil, the Punisher and Spider-Man teaming up. And what I remember from it is like they go to a warehouse and obviously it's like full of thugs and whatever. And... (laughs) It kind of reminds me a little bit of the scene from Guardians 3, which I guess very minor spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it, which I would assume is almost nobody at this point. But it's... I've actually seen it. Yeah, which is why I don't feel bad about referencing. <laughs> <laughs> but but the part with Drax where he's like, where they're like, yeah, we're going to go in and we're going to stop them. He's like, yeah, we're going to kill people. He's like, no. He's like, we're going to kill some people. No, I'm going to kill one guy, one very lonely guy who doesn't have any family or friends that will miss him. <laughs> um, like that little joke. And it's kind of there in that Spider-Man team-up where they're like, no, we're not going to kill anybody. And the Punisher's like, okay, but these are all criminals. And the lawyer and the good guy are like, yeah, but we're not going to kill them. And he's like, but they've killed people before and they're going to try and kill us. He's like, we're not going to kill them. And they get, and they, I think they try to take the Punisher's guns away. And they get inside, and the Punisher just pulls out more guns. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not done comedically. Like, it's meant to be, like, a semi-serious, <laughs> like, like butting heads of, you know, the moral code of these people. But it's, I remember it being a little funny. I, I don't know. I, there is a part of me that still, like, enjoys Punisher stories. No reason for the character to exist in the Marvel Universe. Um, but if he's going to exist... He does well in Daredevil. Because the whole point of Daredevil, and it's the Netflix series did this really well, this story really does it well. The whole point of Daredevil is he is someone who wants to be better than he is, but feels compelled to be almost the worst version of himself. He's very self-destructive, he's very angry and bitter, but he knows that he's walking a very fine line and he needs some of these really dramatic reminders to pull back from the edge and the Punisher serves that role for him very well. He was a very smart addition to this story, which again, like, like John said, there's just all of this tension building up, building up, building up, building up, and then it breaks out in a riot and it's fun. Yeah. Throughout. That's the other part of this is that for a story where a dude gets stabbed to death in the prison while his best friend can't help, but hear everything that happens. This is a weirdly fun book. Yeah. I really like a lot of, I think the fight scenes were done pretty well as well. Like talking about the fun aspect, right? Which I think a lot of the fights kind of come down to it. Like, well, the big fights with like a lot of people, the, the big brawl at the end or towards the end with like the Kingpin and Daredevil where they're fighting together. Right. And he's talking about how he doesn't even have to use his radar sense. Like he just throws a punch or a kick and it will land on somebody or something because there's just like that many people coming at them. And the the little fight when he gets brought over to that room and he kind of beats up all the thugs and then tells the tells the other guard, you know, it was a, there was a gang fight and he's just kind of cowering in the corner just trying to be poor blind lawyer Matt Murdock. <laughs> I really like this. And I think, okay, so John, you said something about the, the inks not being super clean. Yeah, which tonally might still work. I think it does. That's exactly the point I was going to make. Yeah. I think for, for this sort of story, that sort of almost muddiness helps. Yeah. It, it helps to convey some of the grit and some of the grime 
it, it helps to convey almost the noirish aspect, because which is appropriate because you've got this detective subplot with, you know, uh, Ben Urich and Dakota North. Weirdly, we have a Dakota North double feature because she was also in The Enemy Within, you know, trying to figure out who this mysterious uh, daredevil is who's running around. Also, I feel like Marvel's best names are the alliterative ones, and I hate that her name is just North Dakota backwards. Yeah, that's super annoying. I saw that. I was like, I, I couldn't it. take it seriously. <laughs> I was like, what parent? What parent looks at that? Kanye West. He's the only other parent because he named his child Northwest, and I hate it. <laughs> that's that was the yeah. straw that broke the camel's back with Kanye. That was oh no, that was the straw. <laughs> Oh, listen, the, the, the bag was broken. Actually, much later after that, because um, that was before his his red hat wearing days. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Hate. Yeah. Full on mask off anti-Semitism. And- yeah, surprisingly, I held on that long. <coughs> yeah. Speaking of the fake Daredevil, I vaguely remember, because my brother, you know, back when this book was coming out, it was around the same time as Civil War. My brother was collecting the single issues and I was reading them all with like with him because we were all living at home in this post-college limbo phase um but anyway I vaguely remember a civil war tie-in where we see Matt Murdock ask Danny Rand to stand in for him as Daredevil do you guys remember that am I making that up I don't remember that but that feels like it Okay, so let me rephrase that. I don't remember that happening during Civil War, but I feel like that has happened at least twice. I also think that T'Challa was the man without fear for a while, and I think currently Elektra is the woman without fear as Daredevil, but um, I don't specifically remember Danny Rand, that conversation. It sounds right. Sounds like it happened, but I don't know anything more. It sounds a lot more plausible than Nightcrawler being Spider-Man, which is a thing that's happening. Here's the thing. On paper, that sounds fantastic. Like, it genuinely does. Sorry, Nightcrawler being Spider-Man? Yes. Yes, Nightcrawler is in hiding for some reason, and he is pretending to be Spider-Man. I'm like, give it a try. That's that's Doc Ock is Spider-Man. That's okay. We know it's not going to stick. So let's see what we can do with it. See, that's that's like you've you've got your. No, cause I was gonna say you've got your chocolate and my peanut butter. No, you've got your peanut butter and my chocolate, but it doesn't work because chocolate and peanut butter are great together. That's like, you've you've got your. Um, that feels curry. apt. No, I don't. I don't want Nightcrawler. No, he's a mutant. I want. I want him doing Nightcrawlery things, doing his own. He thing. is, but in a suit. No. Oh. But it's Spidey's suit. I want Spidey to be Spidey. Spiders crawl in the night. Get out of here with your logic. What? No. Nonsense. What else What else do we want to say about the devil in cell block D? Really well done. I mean, as somebody who came in r- blind to like all of this. Oh, God. Um, I was not meant to be a pun. But oh, somebody, <laughs> But somebody who came into this book not knowing any of the lead up to it, not knowing that it is kind of like the middle movie season or whatever. I still think, even though I wasn't super happy, like it, it, it ended and it answered questions, but it also left more questions unanswered. So like that obviously did irk me, but that's also, I kind of want to go back to the book and finish uh, the follow up on that. Like that's, it was well done. And Steven mentioned that, it was like it's not an it's it's an ending, not a resolution, and I agree with that. Like that's a really good way to put it because the story of Daredevil in prison, that story finished, and I liked it. It was well done. Mm-hmm. And I would go so far as to say that whatever happens next, the Devil in Cell Block D is its own chunk of story and stands on its own. So like this isn't one of those things where like I would fold the next part into this and we'd rank it all as the Brubaker dead or devil run. I, I actually th- like this as a standalone story. And I think even if you never know what happens next, it's the sort of cliffhanger ending where it's like, yeah, you can read this and be satisfied and then be curious about what else is out there. And then when you have the time and the inclination, you dig into it. And that is the way I think a lot of superhero stories should be. You don't have to read the next bit. 
but you can. And if the comic has done a good job, you'll want to, and won't be able to stop, you know, swiping to the next one in the app, which is yeah. what I, I had to stop myself because I was like, I still need to read Captain Marvel, but I, ooh, I'm going to come back to this one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I just confirmed. So there is a Civil War one-shot called Choosing Sides, and it has Daredevil asking Iron Fist to keep pretending to be Daredevil. So it actually takes place after this story. So I didn't make it up, but I didn't remember exactly where it fell in relation to this story. That's close enough for me. That's, yeah, yeah. And it makes more sense, because I read this and it was like, I thought, I thought Matt knew that Danny was being Daredevil on his behalf. That felt like a plot hole to me. Or like, the writers didn't communicate. But the one shot was actually, or at least that part of it, was written by Brubaker. And it was, in part, setting up the Matt Fraction, David Aha, Iron Fist run. Which we're going to have to read someday, because that book's really good. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Aldo, have you read that? Nope. Put it on the list. It's going on the list. Its biggest sin is that it's not as good as Hawkeye. But it's the same creative team, and they rule. And that's the biggest sin of most comic books, not being as good as Hawkeye. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It reminds me of that little comic where, I don't know if you guys have seen it, where it's like a dog meeting death, and he's like, was I a good boy? And death is like, no, you were the best boy. But people like flip that, and so now I just imagine any comic book walking with death is like, was I was I the best comic book? No, you were not, David. You you were not attraction uh-huh, <laughs> Hawkeye. <laughs> Funnily enough, that's also what the Hawkeye series said when it died. Uh-huh. Was I a good boy? You're not as good as the comic. Yeah. Dang. I mean, you're not wrong. <sighs> on, a, on a slightly related note, wife and I just finished watching WandaVision again. Uh-huh. We decided to keep going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe to catch up on all the movies that we missed. Because we, you know, we, we watched through Endgame and Endgame made us mad. WandaVision's even better than I remember it. Except I didn't care for the finale, but... The finale was better the second time through. Yeah, Okay. That's the thing. It, there, it, there's still aspects of it that are disappointing. It's still silly that the Pietro is is a he's a, his last name is Boner. It's a dick joke. <laughs> like and all of the stuff with Agatha Harkness at the end is silly, but yeah, it holds up. It's surprisingly good, and it's better than most everything else we've gotten out of Marvel since Endgame. I was just I was just floored, and maybe it's because we watched WandaVision while Brittany was pregnant, but now we have a kid. And so the final scenes when Wanda is saying goodbye to her family, they are gutting. I'm getting bad chills just thinking about it. Do we have anything else to say about about Daredevil? No, I don't have anything else for Daredevil. Other than nope. I hope if... I, I actually, now that I've read this, now I understand why... Because I've heard the book mentioned a couple times. Now I understand why people really wanted this from the Netflix uh, show. I guess a lot of people were yeah. were hoping or expecting this book to be adapted. Can you imagine the brawl kind of done in the style of the hallway fight? Well, they did a bit of that, I think, with Punisher being in jail in the uh, second season. They did a little bit. I can't imagine it because if it was filmed at all like Daredevil was, I probably wouldn't have been able to actually see it. Oh, <laughs> it would have been too dark. <laughs> well... On a brighter note, because this was a surprisingly colorful comic, we read uh, Avengers Enemy Within. This is a Captain Marvel-focused event that ran through both Captain Marvel and the Avengers Assemble miniseries concurrently. But it it really draws heavily on and and follows through on plot beats that were set up in Kelly Sue Comics' run on Captain Marvel. Um, and like the Daredevil story, this one takes a little bit of setup. In the Captain Marvel story, Carol has been diagnosed with this odd form of brain cancer. Carol Danvers got her superpowers during a battle between the original Captain Marvel, a Kree soldier named Marvel, and a. I don't know if he's like a renegade Kree warrior or whatever, but he's a representative of the Kree military who's trying to conquer earth his name is yon rog they're fighting over this this machine that allows its user to basically 
create whatever they want. It, it's this weird sort of like matter reshaper device, I think called the Super Magnetron or something like that. In the fight, it explodes. A piece of shrapnel from the machinery lodges itself in Carol Danvers, and that's what gives her her powers. Fast forward to uh, 2013, when this story was being told, and that bit of machinery has actually caused cancer to start growing in Carol Danvers' brain. And if it gets too big, it's going to basically crush out all of her memories. It's going to give her amnesia. It's going to wipe her personality. And so her doctors have told her, you need to limit your use of your powers because every time you use your powers, it causes this cancer to grow. And especially flight. When you fly, that causes it to grow even faster. So if you must use your powers, use your energy blasts or whatever, but don't fly. So Carol Danvers, you know, the, the Air Force pilot, has been grounded and she starts getting attacked by all of these figures from her past. And this is from, like, distant past, back when she was Ms. Marvel. Uh, she gets attacked by Deathbird. And then in the events of this story, we see her get attacked by a bunch of random supervillains. Uh, the, what are they called? The gladiatrixes. They're, like, female wrestlers. She gets attacked by the brood. Um... So there's this coordinated effort to take her down using all of these figures from her past. Turns out that the person who's orchestrating all of this is Jan Rog, who has somehow come back from the dead and is desperate to get back into the good graces of the Kree Empire. He offers them the planet Earth, and then they kind of reject his offer, so he decides that he's going to conquer Earth himself using all of this buried Kree technology that is still on the planet. The Avengers come together to try to stop him, to take him down, to, to stop the, the technology from doing its thing. They're not quite able to do it. They, they do a pretty good job of saving people and fighting back the machines. There's just too much. So they're about to set up this other uh, gambit to have Captain America use his shield to disrupt the Kree technology. It's going to go too slow. And in the meantime, there's this replica of the Cree capital city that's like descending on New York and it's going to crush it. Captain Marvel is still within the bounds of the city and she decides that it's not worth it to preserve her brain if it means that everybody around her is going to die. So she beats the crap out of Yonarog, flies off into space, and by doing so disrupts the, the Cree technology because it was channeling itself through her brain and saves the day at the cost of you know, keeping this cancer at bay. And so the next time we see Captain Marvel after this, she's lost her memory. She's, she doesn't know who she is. And that's kind of the big sacrifice of this story. So this book was creative team. Uh, we've got a lot of different artists. Jordi Belair is the consistent colorist. And I, I think Jordi Belair's colors are fantastic. Uh, we also have some supplemental colors from Matt Wilson and Nolan Woodard. We've got art by Scott Hepburn, Matteo Buffagni, and Pepe Larraz, and George Sandoval. There's a lot of different artists. And then the writer is Kelly Sue DeConnick. This was part of the big Captain Marvel relaunch when they decided to let Carol Danvers actually take on the moniker of Captain Marvel. This was the end of the first leg of that story. And... So yeah, kind of a kind of a conclusion to this character and the start of some new things. What did you all think? I enjoyed it. I thought that um, the style of it, and well, it kind of hopped around a little bit. I thought there were some parts where Carol was a little a little cartoony, but the style worked still somehow. Where it was maybe not the most um, accurate anatomy, but it still I don't know. The art didn't bother me. Um, I, I read these back to back, so I just read Daredevil and I was like, well, this ain't Daredevil, but it's, it's okay. <laughs> um, I think that I lack the history with Captain Marvel for these moments to really hit like I think they would if you were really familiar with the character because it, it works like a, a greatest hits kind of your past is coming back to haunt you kind of thing. And that story I think is a good idea, um, 
But I was more like, all right, which issue am I in now? And, oh, why is the Hulk in this armor? And, okay, what's going on with this character? And where are we are, I mean, where are we at in, in the, you know, Avengers history of who's in, who's out, who's, you know, whatever. Um, so I think even even as someone not as invested in Carol Danvers, um, it still worked for me. Um, yeah, not bad. Yeah, I think some of the nostalgia aspects of the book, like the whole thing of her past um, were kind of lost on me until they were actually explained in the book a little later on. And there's like, I don't know, there was a lot of stuff that, I don't know that it needed to be explained, but if you hadn't been reading the Captain Marvel book, like I had no idea who that, uh, who the old lady Rose was or like what her particular relationship was or like why she was so important to her other than like she was important to her. And, you know, really that's all I needed to know, but Mm-hmm. I feel like a little bit of the weight of that situation was kind of lost on me because I didn't have that prior knowledge, but that's bound to happen with a ton of books, right? So, like, it's not a particular right. slight here, but it is just a little something about my reading experience. Other than that, I didn't particularly have any problems with the book. I enjoyed it. I liked kind of the ride that it took us on, and I really liked Carol being you know, stubborn and headstrong and just not wanting to back down and just being angry about having to ride a cool space bike because she can't fly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that was really fun. And then like towards the end when all of the Avengers are spread out and they're fighting at the different points, like that was also just kind of just fun, right? Like Wolverine just having a blast because he gets to lobotomize a bunch of robots as he puts it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so so yeah so i i enjoyed it i thought it was a fun book i don't know that i would necessarily say it's great but really fun a real enjoyable arc that you know we read i did really enjoy you know the moment she finally breaks it's captain you little maggot and you're not going to hurt awesome. anyone today great moment you know, you see this coming together. You're like, oh, yeah, Cap could, Cap's shield would work and Thor's fast enough. And she just says, no, they're not. I have to do it. And she does it anyway, knowing what it'll do to her. So as f- establishing the character of Captain Marvel, you know, that's great. Um, you know, and that frustration she constantly feels, you know, being... You know, not at full capacity, you know, where she could do all these things and she has to hold back, you know, until she finally doesn't. You know, that was pretty cool. It's funny to read this story because this story, uh, this first part of the Kelly Sue DeConnick run on the character was the reason I was so hyped for Brie Larson and Captain Marvel, the movie, uh, like all of that. I thought it was going to be fantastic. And the movie did wind up being disappointing. And it makes me sad because I like the character so much and it kind of gave me pause seeing you know carol danvers in the marvel cinematic universe it's like what do i like about this character because i don't really like what's happening here but i like the comics what maybe i don't like the comics as much as i thought i did coming back and reading this one of the big differences i think is that there is first of all there's legitimate humor not just like quips but there's like character comedy and interaction and like there's real heart between Jessica Drew and uh Carol Danvers like they're friends they're they're giving each other crap like friends do um and I feel like that element was missing from the 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 Marvel Cinematic Universe version of the character at least thus far it'll be interesting to see what happens in Marvels because that looks like it could have some of that sort of like friendly camaraderie and friendly banter um but the other thing, weirdly, is that this Carol has a weakness. And I think there's something going on in a lot of Hollywood when they have female characters. They don't want them to be weak. And I understand kind of the impulse, because obviously for, for decades, for generations almost, uh, women in a lot of popular media were portrayed as nothing but weak. But here's a character who is capable and has this conflict that obviously she needs help with and it makes her weaker and it makes her more relatable, but it also makes that final moment when she 
smashes into yon rog and flies off into space so much more powerful. I, I'm going to make another weird comparison to Mario, but <laughs> one of my biggest disappointments in the Mario Brothers movie was the character of Princess Peach. She, like, doesn't have a character. She's just the perfect girl who's good at everything. And I kind of feel like, weirdly, that's how the movies have treated Carol. She, has, she doesn't have significant weaknesses or limitations. She's just powerful. And for Carol, where so much of her character is, you know, this bold, strong personality, you need the weaknesses to temper that. Like, she's brash, and she's cocky, and she's full of bluster. And she has these, these you know, thorns in her side, these Achilles heels. Those keep her relatable, because if all you have is the power and the brashness, well, that almost becomes what people who suck at media criticism say about Superman, that he's too powerful to be interesting. That's kind of what you wind up with Carol Danvers if you don't give her those weaknesses as well as her, her tough personality. I think the other part of it, too, is, and I've realized this from the few Marvel, you know, Captain Marvel books we've read or Carol Danvers books we've read, I think Carol Danvers works really well in a group. When she is paired up with somebody else, she is a lot more interesting. And I think it just kind of has to come down to, yeah, like like you were saying, you know, she's she's brash, she's bold, and kind of like I was saying, she's hot-headed, she's stubborn. And that by itself is not the most, like, interesting thing, right? Because, like, all of that is also descriptive of put the Punisher, and we have agreed that the Punisher is not so great on his own. But every once in a while, we like him in, in like books with somebody else. And I think that's kind of the key with Captain Marvel, at least for me, with my limited experiences. I think her character really shines when you have other people to compare it to. When you have other people where like you need that bold and brashness. That's a SpongeBob joke, I just realized. And <laughs> bold and brash. But it, it also helps to have a contrast of when that's not good to have, right? And so having her paired up with Spider-Woman, as she's, she often is, from what I can tell, she, you know, typically works on both of those angles with her, where Spider-Woman, at least on the very limited media I've read of hers, she's pretty, like, level-headed. So having somebody who... Can portray the good and the bad of being you know as hot-headed as as carol is like works and i think at least for me based also kind of pivoting to the movie and tv stuff is i think for me that's kind of what was missing was having somebody to interact with and it's not to say that i don't think you can have a good captain marvel solo book you you probably can and i just haven't read it but based on like my experiences, my preferences, seeing her with at least one other person to like play off of. And that's so frustrating because she has other people. Like in the movie, in, in the, the Captain Marvel movie. And, and I'm not quite sure what to make of it because she, you know, she has a Lieutenant Trouble. There's that little girl in her apartment complex that she's, you know, always interacting with in this story. Um, that's Monica Rambeau in the movie. Uh, she has Nick Fury. Although now that I'm saying it, the scenes between her and Nick Fury are the best ones in that movie. So yeah. Maybe there is something to that. But it's also like she doesn't have like a consistent person to not just kind of be there with her, but also to kind of, I don't want to say put her in her place, but to challenge her. Right. Because that's what Spider-Woman does a lot in the books that we've read or that, that I've read. She, it's not that she's trying to hold her back or anything. She challenges her, right? She tells her, hey, you're putting yourself in danger. Stop it. Or she tells her, don't do this the way you've been doing it. That's obviously not working. You have to slow down a little bit before you speed back up. Like, you need somebody there to kind of challenge her. And I don't think you necessarily have that in the Marvel movie, with the exception of the antagonist, who is like her mentor. With the that's Yon Rog. Yeah, that's Yon Rog too. Who is in this book? But they don't say his name in the movie, if I remember correctly. But I think they do. Or not at first, and then we find out later, like, oh, yeah. But but yeah, so like that's I think that's the problem is you need to have an ally who is going to challenge her, and her vice versa challenging them as well. 
because that is what I've noticed. And I think that works a lot with that, that type of personality, not just her, but like that type of personality, because we also see that a lot in the Wolverine Spider-Man dynamic where they challenge each other a lot. Yeah. And those team ups yeah. more often than not work really well. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that actually kind of reminds me of an, in, this story goes in an interesting direction because it opens with Spider-Woman getting after Captain Marvel because she's trying to do it all herself. And she says, and, and, and Spider-Woman says, no, we're part of something bigger than us, bigger than our egos, bigger than our mistakes. And so it's, it's you know, Captain Marvel's trying to go it alone and Jessica Drew reins her in and says, no, you need backup on this. But then the end of the story you know, I mean, the story ends with, it's Captain, you little maggot, and then she flies off into space by herself. But the journey is also the fact that she's able to get to that point with the help of everybody. It's specifically, you know, all of her... I'm not saying this is like a contradiction or a bad thing about the story, because I think what it, it does is it shows that Carol feared taking this step, but also then saw how much she was loved and how great of lengths people were going to to try to keep her safe and save the day. Like, this isn't one of those weird things where, you know, we're going to line up the entire army of the nation of Wakanda so that we can save the life of one artificial humanoid. Infinity War is such a mess, you guys. Um, (coughs) Just the math of we're going to have our entire army get devastated by this extraterrestrial force to save the life of one person. But we don't trade lives. (laughs) <laughs> they say that and they oh, do. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 deeply uh, philosophically inconsistent. Here like there is consistency where it's like we are doing everything we can to save everyone's life and that includes the life of the person who could sacrifice herself in order to save the day. But there is another way. Let's try the other way. And there's it, it, like it it walks that line I think very well. Yeah. And it makes Carol's ultimate sacrifice, A, 100% in keeping with her character, and B, that much more effective. Yeah. And I think it also plays into the follow-up book, which I think is like a double-sized anniversary type thing. I, I was looking ahead because I wanted to... Oh, I I almost recommended we add that issue because it's part of the trade, and so I have read it. It's very good. Yeah, and so like that follows up with her having to kind of rebuild her memories based on the conversations and memories of the people who love her and ad- admire her yeah, and stuff we, like that. And that's good stuff, seems like. Lieutenant Trouble has made a book of all of Captain Marvel's stories, and she reads it to her. It's very cute. Um, yeah, but that's not this story. It, it's, it is very good, but it's not this story. Yep. <laughs> I want to just real quick talk about the way Captain America appears in this story. For one thing, the, this story implies that Captain Mar- or Captain America has yet to see Star Wars. I do not believe that that is true. Yeah, whatever version you're writing, if he comes to the future and Star Wars exists... You're going to sit him down at some point and say, look, you need to know about this for no other reason than to do your job in a modern world. Right. Um, but other than that, I actually really like the way Captain America was was written. He's He's got, like, this business demeanor, just let's get things done. But he's, like, just having these subtle quips and jokes throughout that are a little bit old-fashioned, a little bit corny, but they're very endearing. Um, And I've been thinking about this because I came across a quote recently from a comics creator. I think his name was Tim Seeley. Uh, The name's familiar, but I can't off the top of my head remember what he's done. He said that he does not write straight, white, cisgender men in his stories anymore, in his superhero stories anymore. He doesn't make any new characters who are straight, white, cis men. Because they made Captain America, and he's the best one of those. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I get that. I, I, I can get behind that. I think that's a good point. Um, and I was just thinking about that when I read this version of Captain America. I like him. He's Cap's a good guy. Yeah. When he's, when he's well-written, and DeConnick does a good job with Captain America. It's kind of like uh, how our great prophet uh, Patrick Willems once said, why would you make a movie biopic when we've already made Walk Hard? <laughs> why would you keep making them in the same way? 
that helped because I watched Bohemian Rhapsody and I was like, so, uh, this is off. Why is this off? Then I watched that and I was like, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, it's actually talking about very slight tangent on that. Kind of, I think, a little relevant to our conversation where we're talking about, you know, books that kind of end, but not really resolve, you know, so on and so forth. Because we were talking about, I was talking about Bohemian Rhapsody when that came out to a friend. And she had, like, this great little quote that just said, the reason why they have to adjust so much in these biopics is because life doesn't fit neatly in a three-act structure. And I love that little quote. We need it to... We need to have a narrative sometimes, I think, to explain things. And it really is hard when it doesn't because the ending of one moment bleeds into the beginning of the next one, which leads to something else you didn't see coming which leads to and so forth and so on that's really that's really wise i'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. write that and, down and steal it yeah and funny enough the fact that we're reading books that kind of pick up after a thing and end before the other thing i think is you know il- illustrative of what comics can do in their serialized format which is that you can have great fun interesting stories that don't necessarily wrap up in a neat little bow, which is a little reminiscent of life, which is like kind of the big thing about Marvel comics as opposed to DC, right? Is that these heroes and stories are meant to be a little bit more reflective of people and like our stories, Uh, obviously grander and bigger scale and all that stuff. And I think, I don't know, just having like this whole conversation about like those two things has been, it's it's made me like the books more than than w- how much I liked them when I start when I came into the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I also like the bit where Yonrog calls the Kree homeworld and says, "Hey, I can deliver you the planet Earth," and the Kree homeworld is like, "Nah, that's too much trouble. You're on your own. We don't need an Earth. Earth's Earth's too much trouble." Oh yeah, it's, there's like that whole thing about. Yeah, Earth's kind of blacklisted. Like, nobody wants to deal with that. And even if it wasn't, you, nobody wants to. What would you do with an Earth if you had it? <laughs> do you need an Earth? Yeah. It's full of there's, superheroes. We don't want that headache. There's a there's a really interesting trend on... I've, I've seen it through TikTok, but if, I also have got, gone to the subreddit on writing prompts subreddit. And there was a really popular sub, uh, prompt that was... Something along the lines of, like, aliens just do not mess with Earth. Oh, and, with listing all the weird species that we have and crazy things that we forget that are yeah, weird. There, there's been, like, a few of those. I think the most one of the more recent ones I saw was, like, a writing prompt that was, like, when when you have a human technician on your on your vessel, if they say, if they walk on the planet and they say it feels like home, get out of there. <laughs> So, like, I I like that idea that Earth is so weird. I mean, granted, obviously, the weird and dangerous for different reasons in the Marvel Universe than ours, but (laughs) I like that that's that's a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, are are we ready to rank these stories, do you think? I'm ready to rank. I'm interested to see where they'll fall in our list. I'm ready, 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 ready. Ready to rage. I give Enemy Within the rank of Captain. <laughs> you maggot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, currently on our list, we have 245 stories. Up at the tippy top, we've got Ms. Marvel, No Normal. At the very, very bottom, we've got The Evil That Men Do, Spider-Man. Good boy. In the middle, for no good reason, let me see. Just, we always shout out the top and the bottom. In the middle is... Uh, better to give an X-Men story by Rob Williams and Lawrence Campbell. That's a 125. I don't know. What's that story? I can't remember. <laughs> so if you're in the middle, you might be a little forgettable. Uh, oh, it's that Wolverine story where he like fights off a bunch of mall Santas or something like that. Yeah. You know, we should name... I remember that. We shouldn't put these in our list, at least for our own reference, like Friends titles. You'd be like the one with... Blank, 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 blank. (laughs) The one with Joey's sandwich. The one where Deadpool uh, talks to that girl off the ledge, you know, like that kind of thing. I mean, if you want to go ahead and start that for all 245 books on our list, you're 
more than welcome to start a new column on that. <laughs> oh no, Aldo's called my bluff. Ooh. <laughs> so, Daredevil... Daredevil is a character that I forget is really good until we read Daredevil. Because I'm looking at our list, I'm like, we can't have that many high-ranking Daredevil stories. Uh, Death of Electra is at number 14. And shortly below that is The Man Without Fear at number 24. Uh, and then we've got at numbers 32, the start of the Mark Wade run, and Daredevil Yellow by Jeff Loeb. Is The Devil in Cell Block D as good as any of these? It, it, um... I think that it does a good job with the character just as well as these. Um, that's tricky. Because they're, like... I feel all of these nailed the character, including Devil in Cell Block D. But there's a lot of really good books here. So, you know, what gets bumped for this this new one? It's, it's tricky. In my heart, this book is better than Daredevil Yellow. I it is missing... It is agree. missing... Well, go ahead, John. It is missing the usual, you know, side story of how he's screwing up a relationship with a woman um, that we usually is get. That no. was handled well. It's there. She. It's, it's there. It's, no, it's, no, but it's, it's not like a main part of this. Yeah, it's not as prominent. It's not like what we come back to after you know fighting all night. So, but it is there. So it's so it's a daredevil book. Check. <laughs> but uh. I think I'd have to agree with you on that one, Stephen. I, I don't know that it's that much better, but maybe just a little bit. Maybe we just wedge it in between the other two Daredevils. <laughs> like, just have a little Daredevil spot, because, it, yeah, it's, it's real good. Well, Daredevil, well, Daredevil's good. He's good. Mm -hmm. I think it's more memorable than the, the start of the Mark Wade arc, too. Honestly. And gun to my head... I'd probably put it above the first volume of Runaways. I do not know if I could put it above Heroes Reborn, though, because that book is bonkers. But I don't know. I don't know. I would be happy with it going anywhere right there. I'm fine with it going above Daredevil Yellow. Um, I can't... I would recuse myself if uh, we have to discuss bumping Runaways down. I just... Uh, um, I'm too emotionally involved with the case to uh, see it objectively before me. <laughs> You're like Foggy Nelson. You're an attorney with ethics. There you go. But I don't have a stupid mustache. Oh, I'm okay with that. I'm doing that. What? Okay, so it's, it looks like what we're doing is putting it in between the Wade Daredevil and Daredevil Yellow. Yes. Was that was that not what we agreed to? That is. Well, that is. I don't think we had agreed. Is the thing. Okay, oh, well, I agree. Let's do it. Yeah, I agree. Let's do it. I'm. I am happy with it. Number 33, the the low 30s are now the Daredevil section of the list. That's three Daredevil books in a row. Yeah. I did add that column for you, John. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Let me so scroll like over. The, the one where Daredevil is in prison and Foggy gets shift. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll... I'll... <laughs> I'll make a note of trying to, you know, type in whatever it is. <laughs> no worries, we can fill okay, it out. I'll be doing that. I'll be stuff. doing that in the background. Yeah, as we're as we're <laughs> rating them, that's good. Well, number thirty-seven is easy. That's the one where Kamala Khan gets a boyfriend. Ha uh ha! -huh. All right. Okay, the enemy within Captain Marvel, Avengers. I like this story. I like it a lot. I, if I am being honest have to scroll quite a bit down. But it, but I do like it. So I think it goes in the, the higher part of the list. I just don't think it's as solid a piece of storytelling as... My floor for this is Angela Asgard's Assassin, which is 73. Okay. Usually, the I'm looking for the first... Oh yeah, Y stands for freedom. Is that the first Captain Marvel story we read? Um, there's, that's the one where, I think that was her first cover appearance, where she teamed up with Spider-Man. This, this is better than that, but that's pretty low. Yeah. The start of the Kelly Sue run is number 42. Um, and that's where she goes back in time and, and fights, uh, Japanese pilots in alien aircrafts during World War II. I like that story better than this. So, ceiling, that's a high ceiling, though, because I don't even think it's... It's, I think it's closer to Aldo's floor than it is to my ceiling. I agree. 
And honestly, I'm kind of going up and I'm thinking I like this a little better than Shuri. I don't know. Probably a little bit better than Gifted. I think the finely woven thread is where I start kind of waving a little bit. Ooh, I actually like that because I like this story in much the same way as I like the finely woven thread. Yeah. But I think I might like the, the Black Widow story a little bit better. It's a great spy That's story. It's it's That's a good a one bit. with with beautiful art. Yeah, and it has Phil Noto art, which, you know, is Phil Noto art. I, I like the weird, jangly, angular art of these Captain Marvel stories a lot. But it's not Phil Noto. No. Yeah. Yeah. So like sixty then? Yeah, I I think that's okay. I'm I I know the gifted is kind of a tentpole in X Men comics, but I'm kind of eh about that one. I think X Men three ruined it for me. Yeah, it does have weed on it. It's also a little it. painted because it's Joss Whedon. Yeah. Also, also that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We. I think. I think. I don't know. I saw a Twitter take recently, so you know, for what it's worth, Twitter. Um, somebody talked about how it's important to acknowledge that Joss Whedon is actually very good at his craft. Because if we are too dismissive of that, then we are likely to like forget that geniuses can also be monsters. And I don't know that monster is necessarily the right word for Whedon, although I don't know, it depends on which allegations I'm thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> so never mind, I'll watch that part. I mean, it tracks. <laughs> I love <laughs> Kanye West, but... Mm. Yeah, Whedon's good at what he does, and let's give somebody else a turn. There you go. Yeah, let's put this at number 60. The Enemy Within, Between the Finely Woven Thread and Gifted. Great. I want to go back and reread that whole Kelly Sue, uh, the first volume that she did of Captain Marvel. Ends here, begins with the the In Pursuit of Flight, because I really liked that whole thing. Um, but not immediately, because our next read, we are still kind of exploring different ways to, to add some variety to our, our reading here. And I like what we're going to do next time. Uh, we, we thought it might be a good idea to try to read some of, more of the Infinity comics, which were an interesting experiment. We, we read a Captain America, we read a Shang-Chi, but there's the big one still. I think the Infinity comic, the one that has earned the most, or garnered the most attention. It's 24 installments. We're going to read them all. It's Jeff the Land Shark. I'm really excited about this. It's Jeff. I'm really it's about Jeff. It. it's Jeff. It's Jeff. I'm really excited about this one because this is one I can actually read on my phone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's designed to be read on your yeah. phone. Yeah. And it's, I've read some of it. I'm excited to, to read the whole thing. Um... I'm excited to talk about it because I think we're going to get off on some interesting tangents because it's a gag strip. Does, and I think we're going to be able to talk about gag strips and newspaper comics in in the podcast for a little bit because I think it's going to be a, a thematic point of comparison. Yeah, I think the last time we really talked about gag strips or even like newspaper style comics was probably when we read a Frank Cho book and we talked a little bit about Liberty Meadows. Yeah. Liberty Meadows, man. Yeah. Weirdly good. This is going to be fun because the art is absolutely beautiful. It's Guruhiro, and it is delightful. It is Guruhiro, yeah. Right. So it's going to be a joy to read. Guruhiro, they are good at cute. And this is a cute, cute story. Or a cute, cute character. Surprisingly adept at action, based on like yeah. their art style art. being cute. Well, well, I also mean like they did the art for the... Oh, you mean Guruhiro. Guruhiro. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, okay. I because they they did the Avatar: The Last Airbender comics, and oh, yes, they yeah, did. And for the most part, you know, really, I don't I don't want to say tame, but like really kind of just about dudes hanging out with their friends and like going on soul searching adventures and finding their missing mothers. But every once in a while, when they have a fight, like it's well well choreographed, well drawn, which I not I mean not to say that they're not talented. I just that not something I necessarily expected out of their wheelhouse. But, you know, very, very adept at it. <sighs> we should read more Gwenpool. Because they did, they did a lot of the art for Gwenpool, too. I remember. Yeah, they did. I think, like, that first arc, at least, they did that. We should read more comics. We should just read more. <laughs> I try to read more on my own. 
But I also just read a lot of manhwa. And manhwa's kind of boring and repetitive. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> so many books. So many... Okay, so, like, Japanese manga does a lot of this this trope of, like, the overpowered hero. But typically, the overpowered hero is overpowered in, like, very like one specific way. Or they have, like, a very specific, like, weakness that they have to work around. You know, they've either been, like, re reborn into some child, so they have to, like, pretend to be, like, a normal kid while also demonstrating their huge powers. Or maybe they're overpowered, but they're a vending machine for some dumb reason. Uh, <laughs> I've noticed that, like, Korean manga, when they do, like, their overpowered hero stories, it's... The heroes are so absurdly overpowered that it's not about challenges it's just about seeing what cool way they can overcome what's not really an obstacle but it's just like a lot of like show pieces of them doing cool things with these cool powers and i feel like that's really cool for like the first three but then like all of them are just that they're just all that and i'm just like no (laughs) i keep i keep reading books that i read when i was a kid i'm like i don't want to be an old man and then I turn around and I'm like, books were so much better when I was a teenager. <laughs> so that's why I'm reading Dragonlance again. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs>